Years ago, when I first started Happen to Your Career, my good friend Mark and I created an eight-day mini course to help people begin figuring out what they really wanted to be doing for their career in their life. And since that time, we've now had well over 25,000 people go through this same mini course. And one of the exercises involves declaring three wildly unrealistic things that you want to do or be or become. And these could be occupations, jobs, roles, whatever you want. It's sky's the limit. The only rule is that it had to be wildly unrealistic. We started getting thousands of responses emailed to us, and there was something really interesting that we noticed right away in every comment that we got back. I want to work in physical therapy. Be a teacher. Hike Machu Picchu. Be an orthopedic nurse. Master web development. Become a Pilates instructor. Be a world-famous paleontologist. Visit outer space in low orbit. Zipline through a rainforest. Own a bed and breakfast. Maybe even restaurant owner. Okay, what do you notice about these? They're all big goals, sure, but what else? That's right, none of them, when you actually look at them, even if they're big goals, none of them, zero of them, in fact, are actually impossible or unachievable. And that's exactly what we kept finding, whether the exercise was completed by senior executives or college students just starting out. All of them, 100% of the answers people gave were achievable. Nothing was actually completely out of reach. Okay, so what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that the things that we believe to be wildly unrealistic are only unrealistic because we believe them to be. It's about the story that we tell ourselves. I had always been very passionate about women's health. I knew I was passionate about the cause and I wanted to do something in it, but there were times when I was super duper lost and I was feeling really bad about myself. Lisa had been thinking that she wanted to be a consultant since we first met her. I always thought like, oh, that would be really cool to do, but do I know enough? And, you know, how does one even do that? She didn't think it was a viable path and out of reach for her. So she wrote it off as impossible, wildly unrealistic. So I'm going to be a healthcare operations consultant for a small but growing women's reproductive health organization. Okay, so less than nine months later... She's now doing what she really wanted to be doing all along. Yes, we taught her a lot about how to get there, but a massive part of the journey was changing what she believed was possible for herself. And that's exactly what we see again and again here at Happened to Your Career. Most human beings underestimate what we can accomplish within five months, a year, or five years. What if instead what you really wanted was within reach? What if the only thing stopping it was you. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. I've spent the last decade digging into the art and science of how people just like you accomplish wildly unrealistic goals and make career changes that most people in the world would consider to be nearly impossible. And we've put together this three episode series because we wanted to give the entire world a glimpse behind the scenes of how we do this every day, working with people to obtain the careers and lives that they really want to be. 
Okay, so why did we do this? Why did we take the time to put this together? Well, because one of the things that we've learned is that most people don't realize the opportunity that they're missing here. Just think about it. What is not happening in your life right now because you think it's unrealistic? Now, what if that was different? What if you could open up the path to a new career and new life that you previously thought was not possible for yourself? I am officially the Chief Communications Officer with WineTraveler.com. That's Christy Wentz. She now has this custom-created role where she gets to be the Chief Communications Officer for a wine and tourism company. But here's the thing. She now gets to do all the things that she wants to do, but honestly, she thought this type of role would be something that's wildly unrealistic or just not possible for her. And because of that, she actually spent years spending time in roles that just weren't a fit for her anymore. So I actually started in-house marketing decades ago and then eventually led to public relations. I eventually kind of learned as much as I could learn, (laughs) kind of hit a wall there and there was nowhere for me to advance anymore. I had gotten so stressed to the point it had started to affect my physical health. I was having back pain and neck pain and all kinds of random pains. So then started worrying that I was sick and through this whole cycle and, and it was stress. It was just really stress. And it took a while for me to kind of get a hold of myself and say, okay, I need to do something about this, that I can do something about this. And I would have starts and stops and yeah. I'd go get some books and read about things I could do. And then I would start to do some things and get sidetracked and then just be like, oh, it's just a waste of my time anyway. I've got too much going on. And that time we were actually leaving for a sabbatical in Europe and I knew I was going to be gone for seven months. So thought that this would be a great opportunity to kind of really explore things, come back and know what I wanted to do. And of course that didn't happen. I went over there with high expectations of I'm going to have that aha moment and I'm going to come back and know exactly what I'm going to do. And I didn't. (laughs) And I thought it's time. Like everything is just lining up. This isn't working. I need to actually sit down and make a decision. It's a mind shift. I mean, you really have to be ready to kind of change the way you think about things in a lot of respects. I was able to pull out of myself things I knew needed to be a part of my career. Like I knew I wanted to write. I knew I wanted to communicate with people. I knew I wanted to somehow be involved in food and wine and travel if I could, because I love how it brings people together. I also needed something that was going to be flexible and allow me to work remotely. Yeah. So I knew that that needed to be a part of it. I didn't know what it looked like at all. I honestly did not think it was possible even six months ago. Just like Christy mentioned, you first must change your mindset and your beliefs about what is possible for you. Most people just don't realize how deeply this is ingrained in us and in our society. Okay, there's two ways to change what you believe is possible for you. You can expose yourself to other ways and other opportunities that are new to you, and this allows you to expand your horizons. Or number two, you can set your goals higher than what you believe is realistic. Now, this one's a lot harder, and it seems nearly all of society wants us to stick to what's realistic. For example, let's take something that many of us have heard and we even use in our life and work. Something that you might have heard of. What about SMART goals? My name is Dave Stahoviak. I'm the host of the Coaching for Leaders podcast. Dave's a good friend. And if his voice sounds familiar, it's because 
He was previously on an episode of Happen to Your Career. But more than that, he's been a VP at Dale Carnegie. He runs one of the largest leadership podcasts in all of iTunes. And on top of that, he has many, many, many years working with leaders on establishing goals. So who better to help us understand why smart goals are around, what they're good for, and why they're so pervasive? Five key parts of a smart goal. There's different versions of it, uh, but most people divide it into it's specific, something that we can really zero in on and understand from a behavior standpoint. It's M, measurable, so we have a way of seeing if we've actually made progress on it. It is A, attainable, so it's something that realistically we can actually get to in some reasonable amount of time. R is relevant. That means it matters to us personally. It matters to our organization potentially, but it's it's a goal that is the one we should be focused on versus a goal someone else thinks we should do. And then finally, the T is there's some time-phased aspect of it. It's not indefinite. We're trying to accomplish this in a very specific measure of time. I love using SMART goals tactically. When you want to get traction on something that matters for you or someone else to measure. Here would be the classic example in a personal situation is we want to get healthier. So we choose and create a SMART goal that helps us to measure something like, for example, our weight. So being able to see over time movement that then gives us confidence that we're actually making traction on it. On a professional level, I think SMART goals are really useful for being able to demonstrate movement in performance management. So for example, something like sales numbers, how many conversations you facilitated, how many metrics you're managing toward. Virtually every organization and every role within every organization has key metrics. And it's really helpful, especially at the professional level, to have demonstrated, not only for yourself, but for the organization, that you have made some measurable progress toward whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Okay. So here's what I'm curious about. If SMART actually means attainable or sometimes it has realistic for the R, then how do you accomplish things that most people would consider and most companies would consider to be unrealistic? What do you do then? What are your thoughts on that? I think about it in a totally different way than I used to. Um, I find myself in the interesting position these days, Scott, of facilitating a global leadership academy. And I find myself more often challenging people to think smaller on their behaviors, which may seem really odd, but because almost everyone I work with and you run into, like, thinks really big. We want great things for ourselves and for our families and for our careers. And the challenge, though, is. We have that big, bright, exciting goal long-term, and it's really, really hard to think of how am I going to ever get there that seems completely unrealistic that I could be the president of this division or that I could um, have a condo in Hawaii 
or that I have a great relationship with my kids. Uh, so there's there's so many different things that seem very daunting. And the way I think about it and the way I'm always encouraging our academy members to zero in on it is to start with a behavior that gets you moving in that direction. Because if you take that initial step, not only does it begin to move you towards that long-term goal, but more importantly, it gives you agency over realizing that you can affect change. And agency is so big on this. Um, so here's an example. I have a, uh, we have an Academy member right now uh, who he is really working on becoming more engaged with his team, becoming more social with his, his team, of, of listening well, of having regular interactions. And um, Scott, that is not at all reality in his organization right now. In fact, it sounds um, from our conversations like things are pretty adversarial. There's a lot of internal politics going on right now. So that's a really big daunting goal for him. And so we are working on what's the first behavior to get there. And for reasons I won't bore you with, but even starting to have some of those initial conversations is really daunting right now. So the behavior he's working on is noticing just noticing for himself and writing it down. What are people doing well in the organization? And, and that as a, yeah, that as a starting point. Now, neither of us are under the illusion that that's the ending point. There's a long journey ahead for him. The challenge though, is if he started with something big and came in and facilitated a big meeting and did an offsite and tried to change the whole culture of the organization, uh, almost certainly that's not going to work. And he's going to be even more discouraged than he is now. Um, but just by noticing what's happening, he starts to change his thinking and his identity of, I'm a leader that knows what's going on with my team. And as that starts to happen, then he'll take the next step of starting to have some of those conversations. And then that will lead to future things. So I love working with people who think big. And then the next step is, how do we take the big thoughts and the big goals and and start to find that very first behavior that's going to get you toward that new identity you're taking on? Okay, wait a minute. The way to accomplish big, wildly unrealistic things is to start small? Start small with your behaviors, and then that sets the foundation to do big things? That is counterintuitive. Okay, but here's another problem. What's realistic is subjective. And as human beings, well, <laughs> we can pretty easily convince ourselves that something we want is actually not possible for us. You see, most people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in two or three decades. That's Philip Mianko. He's our director of student success here at Happened Your Career. Philip's the guy who talks to nearly every single person that is trying to make a big change in their life and encounters just tons of different questions and mental barriers and, and all the things that, that pop up and stand in our way. He gets to chat with people right as they're coming in our door. Our brains are designed to protect us from, from harm and from danger. Instead of guarding ourselves from saber-toothed tigers, you know, like our ancestors did, 
our brain protects us from uh, our perceived everyday fears. It's like, you know, it's like a salesperson who relentlessly underpromises so that he or she can set the bar low and always deliver. You know, we're automatically programmed to detect spots of risk because our brains are amazingly designed to keep us alive. However, if we want to accomplish big things in our lives, we must first acknowledge that fear and not let it sit in the driver's seat of our lives. To move past this all too common fear, we must, you know, shift our mindsets to what could be possible and train ourselves to achieve bigger or you know, we'll, we'll suffer the fate of selling ourselves short in our careers and ultimately within our lives. The greatest achievers and the greatest doers in the world, they have all the same fears that we do, but they decide to act anyways. And that's what we want for you. We want you to go after and choose what you really want instead of choosing what's available to you. Albert Einstein once said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. So how do you prevent yourself from accidentally settling in your career and your life without realizing it? I personally, I like to stick to simple truths. And one thing that I've seen is that when you don't know what you want and specifically what creates a great life and a career for you, then guess what? You're settling by default. This means that to avoid settling, you have to get very, very clear on what you want and need. One of the ways that we do this is by isolating the issues and by turning really big decisions and big aspirations and big questions like, what do I want to do for my career and what do I want to do next? And if not this, then what will I be doing? What is going to make me happy? Those are, those are huge questions. And what we do is we turn those into much smaller, bite-sized decisions that are just one portion of your aspiration, one portion to be able to make up the full answer to that question. And what we find is that when you break it down, it's much, much easier to create a vision for your future that you can actually do something with and actually be able to act on. So here's how we talk about this that happened to your career. We use what we call the puzzle method. And for anybody who's put together a puzzle, you know that there is yeah, a pretty easy way to put together or easier way, I should say, and some really, really difficult ways to be able to put together a puzzle. And here's an example. So when, one day when my son Grayson was uh, two or three years old and he was first learning to be able to put together puzzles, I was watching him from the other side of the room. And what he was doing was he was grabbing one random piece and grabbing another random piece. And he was trying to mash them together and it wasn't working at all. He's making all kinds of little sounds. He's like, uh, and getting really, really frustrated. Right. And so I watched him for a while and eventually sat next to him and said, Hey, Grayson, let's try this. First, take all the corner pieces because those corner pieces are pretty easily identifiable and we can pull them out. There's four of them. And then let's get all of the edge pieces. And now the cool thing about the edge pieces, by the way, is that when you, when you pull out all the edge pieces, 
often you can start to see how the colors go together. And then that allows you to build out the frame. But the best thing is once you get that frame built, even if you have no idea what the picture on the puzzle looks like, it now becomes possible to start filling in the middle. Once you have that frame, you can begin putting the entire rest of the puzzle together. So in our case, we've got lots of Disney puzzles. So we could see that you know, this is Donald Duck's leg or Mickey Mouse's ear and start to think that, hey, Mickey's probably in this picture. But what we find is that many people in their careers are actually going about this problem the same way as Grayson was trying to put together the puzzle. They're grabbing one random piece and another random piece. They're saying, ah, I need a better boss. Ah, I need more flexibility. And they're trying to jam them together. And they're frustrated when that doesn't make up the total answer. And instead, we find that if you approach it, just like the way, the efficient way of putting together a puzzle, it's so much easier to begin to get the answers to some of these really big questions but we have to be able to break it down into much smaller pieces. So when we do that with careers, we start with your strengths. Now, the reason we start with your strengths are because we focus on what we consider to be signature strengths. Those are the areas that you're not just great at, but also those areas that you enjoy and can add lots of value in as well. And we start with your signature strengths. Those are the corner pieces. And then we go on to the edge pieces. Now, the edge pieces are identifying in the different areas of your life, what are the highest priorities for you? Not everything that's important under the sun, but what are the highest priorities for you? So in your work, you know what type of environment and culture do you want outside of your work in terms of Things like finances or your health and wellness. Uh, what types of relationships do you want to have? What types of people do you want to be spending your time around? So what we do is we break it into all these different categories. Those are the edge pieces of the puzzle. Now, the really cool thing is just like putting together a, a puzzle, once you get those corner pieces, your signature strengths, and then the edge pieces, which are those those areas that are the highest priorities for you in your life and what you value the most inside and outside of work, then it becomes much more possible and much easier to begin to fill in the middle of the puzzle, to fill out that picture and begin to create that full answer. Now, here's the really cool position it puts you in. Once you've put together your puzzle, it puts you in a position to focus on those things that are so much more important than things like job title and what sector should I be in? Because what we find is those things that provide more purpose, more fulfillment, uh, create a higher level of sustained happiness, more happy, more often don't have anything to do with a job title. Instead, there's so many much more important factors. And by putting together the puzzle in this way, it allows you to focus on what is most important to you, one tiny piece at a time. And then that allows us to be able to go and find this picture, this vision, this image of what creates your ideal career for you. Okay. Now, once you've identified the most important areas, once you've created this picture and this vision, once you put together the puzzle, how do you actually go after this goal? How do you make the change? And 
what we've observed helping literally thousands of people is that almost everyone has realities that they're attached to. Realities like a full-time job or obligations like kids that like to eat or saving for their college or whatever it might be. Or the simple fact that you only have so much energy in a single day before you pass out, right? How do you accomplish wildly unrealistic feats in career changes when you have all these obligations and you don't have all the time in the world? Now, that's exactly what we're going to cover on the next episode of our three-part series on accomplishing wildly unrealistic goals and career changes. We'll see you next time where we'll dig into how do you work with these realities rather than against them. 